Well, as you uh, were told, and as you saw, Pastor Matt is out this week, so I have the privilege of stepping in and opening up God's Word with you this morning, which we're going to do in uh, just a minute. And uh, as he mentioned, I've been given the opportunity to come on staff as the community director, and uh, I'm really excited uh, for that opportunity and all that God has in store. Uh, my wife and I have really enjoyed getting to know uh, the many people that we have so far, and we look forward to continuing to, to do that with most of you uh, in, the, in the future. <clears throat> if you've been here the last few weeks, or maybe even if this is your first time, uh, we've been going through a series on worship called Undignified, Worship Like a King. And it's titled like that because we have been looking at this subject of worship uh, what it is, what it looks like, what it means, what's involved in it. Uh, but we've been doing that while interacting with the life of King David and kind of seeing this a little bit through his experience and through his uh, lens and then through the things that God has inspired him uh, to write down in the Word of God for us. This morning we're going to shift gears a little bit from where we've been in the series and we're going to look at how worship has everything to do with relationships. Your worship of God is directly tied to your relationships with other people. And we're going to see and unpack that a little bit in just a second. But before we do, uh, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer together. God, we thank you for a new morning. We thank you for your grace and your love for each and every one of us. We pray that, God, your spirit would be at work in our hearts and our lives as we open up your word. Teach us, convict us, challenge us, Lord. Uh, Bless the teaching of your word and speak to us what what you desire, and um, help us to apply this correctly as we go from here. Uh, We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'll never forget the day that my dad resigned from his position as the senior pastor of our home church. This was an evangelical free church located just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is where my family's from. So yeah, I'm a Steelers fan. Um. But this was our home church for as far back as I can remember. This was the church that had prayerfully and financially supported my parents through over 20 years of missionary work in the country of Papua New Guinea. This was the church that provided a home for our family when we'd returned from being overseas. This was the church where I had a lot of deep relationships. This was home. Well, in 2011, my dad took the position of senior pastor. And to put it nicely... The next couple of years were a wreck. In all honesty, my dad was not a good pastor. He was very bullheaded in his approach to ministry, controlling, and um, okay to leave behind people that didn't get on board. The church, on the other hand, was pretty traditional and not very friendly to change. So as you can imagine, tensions culminated pretty quickly. Division became evident on like every level of church life. It it was a pretty nasty situation. Needless to say, to make a long story short, my dad ended up resigning after only two years of being a pastor. And on the morning that he announced his resignation, I'll never forget uh, the scene that followed. It was like watching something from a movie. Right after he read his statement before a congregation of about four or five hundred people, a man got up walked to the back of the auditorium and just started shouting out accusations at the leadership of the church. And a few seconds after he started, someone from the front got up, 
turned around and started yelling back at that guy. And I kid you not, a few seconds later, the entire congregation was up on their feet, yelling at each other, arguing and whispering about this news that had just broken. And I'll never forget sitting there with that sick feeling in my stomach as I just watched this all unfold. And all I could think to myself is, this is the church. Division everywhere. Relationships were breaking down. I was losing this community that I called home. This was the church. And the question just kept coming to my mind over and over that day and for, and for months after that. Is this really how God intended for his people to relate to one another? Maybe you've had a bad experience similar that you can relate to me. Maybe you've felt unwelcomed or unrecognized in a church before. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody else in ministry. Maybe watching that sermon online not only feels more convenient, but maybe even more comfortable than getting up, making the drive, and interacting with other Christians. Wherever you might be in that, if there's anybody who had reason to distrust others and want to close himself off in the community, it was our friend King David, who we've been interacting with over the past few weeks. If there's anybody who had reason to question this idea of relationships within the community of God's people, it was David. And while he doesn't so much question it, he does share a little bit of his heart with us in Psalm chapter 133 which I want to take a look at together this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, it'll be up on uh, the screens here on the stage. <clears throat> but let's take a look at what David has to say. He says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, wait a second. This is David that's talking. This is the guy who, if you remember, if you've been here for a few weeks, was anointed king as a teenager, but had to live on the run for the next 20 years or more of his life because he was relentlessly chased by Saul and his armies with threats against his life. How's that for unity? This is the guy who was disdained by his own brothers because he was the one picked to be king instead of them. This was the guy whose best friend was Jonathan, the son of King Saul. But because of that dynamic, he had to live separated from his closest friend for most of his life. This is the guy who, after finally becoming king, was betrayed by his own son and driven out of his own kingdom. Those are just a few examples that show that David had some rough experiences when it came to relationships. And yet at the end of the day, David, looking back on his experience, concludes how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Let that sink in for just a minute. And as you think about that, look at the, look at the words that David uses to describe this unity of God's people. He says it's good and pleasant. When God's people function together in unity, when we function together in unity, it's good. It's the way it's supposed to be, right? 
It's God's intention for and requirement of his people in relationship to one another. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we're called to pursue unity with one another. It is good. But it's also pleasant, right? When unity is accomplished, the atmosphere becomes pleasant. And our experience within that unity is most certainly joy. How good, how pleasant is the unity of God's people. I think most of us would look at that verse, hear that verse, and we would agree with David that, yeah, unity is a good thing. But why is it that our experience is so often different? Maybe more unpleasant. I think part of the problem is that we often, and I'm guilty of this, I've done this before, is that we go through life with kind of this Jesus and me mentality in which we view other people, we view relationships as maybe helpful at times, maybe harmful at times, but not really essential to my life. As if other people are there if I need them, there if I want them, and that's about it. But if our starting point is a view that holds relationships as an optional thing, I could take them, I can leave them, don't really need them. Well, that's certainly going to affect how we relate to one another. How do you pursue unity if you don't believe that you need people in your life? I think another reason that we don't experience unity like David describes it here is because oftentimes it's inconvenient and even uncomfortable. To truly build unified Thriving, selfless relationships and community takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of extra effort. And worst of all, it requires a lot of vulnerability. And this is something that God's hitting me in my life pretty hard right now. I think a lot of times we're just afraid to be seen, to really be seen by other people. To really be known, maybe even to appear weak before others. So we kind of hold other people at a distance a little bit, enough to where we can control their perception of us, and we call that unity. But how do we experience unity with one another if we don't really know each other? I hate to break it to you, but the kind of unity that David's talking about here means more than just showing up and standing in the same location as other people. I think that the kind of unity that David commends here as being good and pleasant is the kind of unity that permeates all the levels of our lives, from the spiritual to the practical. And it's the kind of unity that views relationships as essential and necessary to my life. I think the kind of unity that David's talking about here involves me setting aside myself, my preferences, my opinions for the good of another person. Being willing to humble myself and appear weak, confess and acknowledge my failures and my inconsistencies and be known in that way. I think the kind of unity that David's getting at here is the kind that involves us as a church committing together to pursue Jesus. To know him and make him known. It's the kind of unity in which we commit together to being good stewards of our resources, our finances, our time. And it's the kind of unity in which we as a Christian fellowship of people hold one another accountable to love 
our families, our spouses, our kids, our families, our friends, and our neighbors as Christ has loved us. When that kind of unity pervades our relationships, David's saying that we fulfill our God-intended purpose as a community. And the experience within that is going to be most certainly joy and delight. And maybe that sounds like a little bit of an unattainable standard. But we actually have an example of this in the life of the church. If you look in the book of, the, if you look in the book of Acts... We get kind of a glimpse into the life of the early church as they embraced this vision of oneness, togetherness, unity in Jesus. In Acts 2, 44 through 47, it says this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All the believers were together and had everything in common. One of the ways that I think we often pursue relationships with other people or unity or community is through commonality, shared interests maybe. If you're a guy, maybe it goes something like this. You like football. I like football. Let's be friends. Right? Maybe that's oversimplified, but that's kind of the way it works, right? We like to stick to what we know, what we enjoy, what we like. And through that, we kind of try to find some common ground through which to connect with another person. Maybe that's a hobby that you both enjoy. Maybe that's the place of life that you're in. You have kids. I have kids. Maybe it's race. Ethnicity, maybe it's age, you're 30, I'm 30. Maybe it's personalities that align, and the list kind of goes on. Now, don't get me wrong, those things are important, but as I look at this example, I can't help but notice what their unity consisted of, what was holding them together. There's no mention of hobbies that they all enjoyed together. No mention of everybody being at the same age or having the same interests, or personalities that were the same, or even social status. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I said, those things are important in our relationships. But it seems to me that if our unity as Christians is as good and pleasant and beautiful as David describes it, well, it's got to be rooted in something more, something bigger, something deeper. Right? Something bigger, something deeper. What is that? Well, I think that um, Howard Macy, he has a good definition of community that I think uh, goes well here. He was a professor at a George Fox University, and he says this, that community is the sharing of a common life in Christ. Have you ever considered the fact that as Christians, we hold the most important Elements of life in common with one another. I'm not talking about the fact that you're a human being, I'm a human being. Or that you need food, water, shelter to survive, and so do I. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that your sins have been forgiven. 
Because Jesus lived, died, and rose on your behalf. So have I. So have mine. I'm talking about the fact that because of what Jesus has done, your life purpose has been redefined so that you no longer live for yourself, but you live to know and enjoy God and serve others and make Jesus known to the world. That's the same purpose as my life. I'm talking about the fact that when this life is over, you're going to spend eternity in heaven with Christ. So will I. It's one thing if we both like football, but it's a whole different story when we share in common the very purpose of our existence. As Christians, the most important foundational pieces for community and thriving relationships to occur, it's already in place. So what are we waiting for? What are we holding back from one another for? How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Well, as great as it would be, David doesn't just stop with one statement about the goodness of unity. He really wants us to grab hold of the beauty, the, how good and how pleasant our unity as God's people can be. So in the next couple of verses, he gives us a couple of practical examples that kind of make this a little bit more tangible for us. And in verse 2, he says, It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Now I get it. At first glance, that image is a little out of the ordinary to us today, right? I mean, who really likes oil being poured down all over their body, right? Maybe a little messy. Maybe a little gross. I don't know. Um, But this image that David uses is something that would have been really familiar to people back in Israel in his time. And in this verse, he describes our unity as being like precious oil. And the oil that he's describing in this verse is an oil that would have been really expensive, really fragrant, perfumed with spices, and it had a really sacred purpose. As we see here, it was used to anoint, to consecrate someone who's going to be a priest, to set them apart. For the work and purposes of God. So what I think David's saying here is that like the oil, our unity can be a distinguishing element that sets us apart as the people of God for the work of God. Distinguishes us. And I can't think of a more important message for us as a church to grab hold of amid the individualism and and division that's so prevalent in our country right now. We're told every day in so many different forms, you are all you need. You are self-reliant. You are self-sufficient. And nobody can tell you otherwise. And if that's not enough, the U.S. is constantly described as a divided nation, politically, racially, Sexually, financially, economically. And we feel that all the time, right? As we go about our daily lives, as we interact with other people. And we hear it on the news all the time. But amid so much confusion in our world, amid so much division, what an opportunity that we have as the church, as the people defined as the people of God, 
to display the glory of God through our love for one another. See, we weren't created to be isolated worshipers. We were created for community. And we function best and are most satisfied in our lives when we're connected to other people. And that's not just me, the community director, saying that. Or even the Word of God. Secular scientific research proves this all the time. And you can look up studies um, that show these results all over the place. That we are designed and wired to be, to be in community. To be in relationship with other people. How many of you have ever heard the name Brene Brown? Anybody? Brene Brown is a leading research professor out of the University of Houston. And she's done a lot of really cool research and work in regards to sociology and human relationships. And she makes this statement in conclusion of a lot of the research she's done. Human connection is what gives meaning and purpose to our lives. Neurobiologically, it is how we are wired, why we are here. It's a pretty powerful statement from somebody who I don't even know if she's a Christian or not. As those created in the image of God, we've been built for community. And we're called to be set apart and distinguished by our unity and love for one another. And Jesus even said this. He even mentioned this to, to his disciples when he was on earth. In John thirteen thirty-five, Jesus says, By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our unity is like precious soil. But David doesn't just stop with one image. He really wants us to grab hold of the power that's, that's found in our unity together. So in verse 3, he continues on to close this psalm out and says, It is like the dew, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord commands his blessing, bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Mount Hermon was the highest mountain in Israel, known for its moist air, rain, and even snow in the colder season. Because of the climate there, there was a lot of lush greenery, really nice area. Mount Zion, on the other hand, was over 100 miles south of Hermon, and contained a really dry, arid climate because it was 7,000 feet lower in elevation. So when David talks about the dew falling on Zion, the dew in this image would have been a really refreshing, life-giving substance to what was otherwise a very parched, dry land. Have you ever been really thirsty before? Maybe you're out hiking all day, or exercising, or playing sports, and you haven't drank for a long time, you're dehydrated, um... What was that feeling like when you finally got to take a big gulp of the nice, cool drink? You felt refreshed, right? Replenished, revitalized. Well, like the dew of Hermon falling on Zion, what I think David's getting at here is that when unity fills our relationships, the effect is refreshing, life-giving, and appealing to us who are experiencing it, but also to those who are watching For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. See, Mount Zion was also located in Jerusalem, which would have been in that time and day the central location that God's people, all the Israelites, would come 
to worship God. And it was because of that, it was the place where the unity of God's people would have been the the most noticeable and evident. So in kind of closing out this short psalm, David not only draws our attention to the fact that unity is beautiful and good among God's people, that it, that it distinguishes us and has a fragrant, refreshing effect, but also to the reality that where there is unity, God will command his blessings to overflow. God has chosen to locate his blessing in the unity of worship of his people. It's amazing. And that's what I think David's been getting at in this psalm. So if there's one big idea or main point that I could leave you with today, it's actually one that I stole from Mr. John Piper himself. He says that unity is the perfume of the church. And that's better than I could have ever phrased it. Unity is the perfume of the church. In our unity... And love for one another, we have the privilege of experiencing relationships and community as God intended it. And through our unity, we have the opportunity to display the distinguishing and refreshing qualities of what it looks like when God's people live in love for one another. Unity is the perfume of the church. I alluded to this a little bit. And the story that I began with. But I left my home church in Pittsburgh that day really struggling. Not wanting much to do with this whole idea of church. My experience with other Christians up to that point had been filled with division, negativity, gossip, shallow sense of community. And yet I can stand before you today and say that God has used unfortunate circumstances like that that probably should have pushed me away uh, to bring me to a place of being burdened and desiring to see unity and community within the church. The more that I encounter the heart of God and see the truth of his word as we look at in this psalm, And the more I understand how we're wired as human beings, the more my heart longs for each and every one of us to experience the power of the gospel in community with one another. My heart, my hope, my prayer for us as a church is that we would join hands, press into the truth of this psalm, and pursue unity with one another at all costs. So in closing out, Our time, I want to try to make this a little bit more practical and leave you with a few starting points through which we as individuals and as a church can work toward pursuing unity with one another. And I'm not going to lie, they might push you a little bit, maybe even into some uncomfortable territory, but uh, if God leads you to step out in one one or two or three of these ways, I believe that it may just change your life. It may just change the life of our church. First starting point is to commit. One of the defining characteristics of people across the church in America is a lack of commitment. And to be honest, my millennial generation is probably primarily the one to blame for this. But it's a lack of commitment. We like the idea of being part of something bigger than us. But not if it ties me down. 
Not if it requires too much extra effort from me. Kind of that consumer mentality. I want to see us break that trend as a church. And I want to challenge each of us to commit to being a regular part and a regular member of this body of believers. To invest yourself here in the life of this church and the relationships that God's put around you. I want to challenge each and every one of us to pursue unity at all costs within that. So real practical, each time that you engage somebody, ask yourself the question, how can I relate to this person right now in a way that builds them up in Christ? Second starting point, seek reconciliation. Unity cannot occur where division is already reigning. Jesus, this is really important to Jesus. And in talking with his disciples in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, I'll just sum it up. He basically says that if you come before me in worship with a gift and there at the altar you find in your heart that one of your brothers or sisters has something against you, leave what you're doing, go make things right with that person, then come back and worship me. Unity is so important to Christ. He tells us, he calls us to be reconciled to one another over and over. So practically, ask yourself this question. Is there anybody in my life right now who I am at odds with? Who I have cut off or rejected? Maybe not shown forgiveness or acceptance to? And if there is somebody in your mind, I want to encourage you to take steps toward reconciling with that person. And finally, I want to challenge everybody in our church to join a community group. Community groups exist in Stapleton Church as a place, as a space, as a context for us to connect with one another while growing deeper in our relationship with Jesus. They're a place where you can be real and honest about your struggles, your difficulties, and experience the love of the body of Christ around you. And there's countless testimonies throughout our church as to how God has met them through their community group. And we're going to show little, real small clips of this over the next few weeks as we try to encourage people uh, to sign up for groups. So I want to just kind of start off with one of those this morning um, by people you may know as uh, Danny and Jess Martinez. Check this out. Danny got very, very sick, and in the process of that, he was hospitalized by mid-2016 for about a month, and thanks to our community group, we kept our eyes on God and kept our sanity. Um, we skyped this group a couple of times. We um, had group come and do a potluck in our um, hospital room, and it was amazing to have so many people there to fellowship and help keep our eyes on God and help give us hope and keep us focused on what's really important during that time. And it was very helpful to see other people besides doctors and nurses come into my room and give me a little uplifting spirits for the hard time. So it was really, really good. Community groups are definitely a blessing.
groups are kind of a blessing because in a way it's to get to know more of the church and their views on a message. Also to know more people in your area that believe in Christ and your community. So it's always good to hear that input. I really like how God uses the community group for iron sharpening iron. So somebody who's followed Christ their entire life and learning from somebody who's been following Christ for a month and God makes all of that work together and it's truly amazing. It's pretty cool, right? Danny and Jess were going through a rough time a couple of years ago. And God used the people in their community group to surround them, to love on them, to encourage them and support them through what was a difficult trial in their life. That's what community groups are all about. If you're new and you don't know what a community group is, well, they're basically small groups of people in our church that meet together on a regular basis, once a week, for maybe a couple hours at a time, to uh, connect with each other and grow deeper in, in our relationship with God through discussion over His Word. We've got tables in the back where you can talk to leaders. I'll be back there. Um, I want to come alongside each and every person because I really believe in the value of what these groups can offer us as believers because we're made for community. And unity within that community is the perfume of the church. So let's pray together and we'll close this out. God, thanks so much for this morning. Thanks for uh, what this is, that we get to be together. that we get to love on each other and experience uh, the unity that you've called us to. I pray that each and every one of us, God, will take steps uh, toward pursuing unity uh, through our love for one another, um, out to the world and out to the community. Our unity as a church is one of the greatest witnesses that we have to a watching world. And I pray that we would take that very, very seriously and engage in it together. Uh, We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.